Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49%. Based on credit worthiness, rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. Look out, it's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a jazz mag and I love films. As J.R.R. Tolkien once said, not all those who wander are lost. And arguably, Reese Witherspoon in Wild was actually found all along. Fair enough, J.R.R., that's a legitimate take on that film. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, and then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Sharon Stone, Jamila Jamil, and Ricky Gervais. But this week, my wonderful special guest is the brilliant comedian, presenter, and impressionist, Matt Ford. Get over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you'll get 15 minutes extra chat and a secret from Matt. You also get the full uncut video of the episode, and it's such a good one. As usual, the secret is a big one, so head over for all that stuff at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Matt Ford is one of the great guests. If you don't know his stuff, I don't believe you, but look him up. He does comedy, podcasting, presenting, impressions, anything. You name it, he's done it. He is one of the best. We recorded this episode when we were in proper lockdown and it was such a pleasure. He is a pure joy and I think you're going to love it. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 105 of Films to be Buried with. And welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I'm joined today by a writer, a broadcaster, a journalist, an impressionist, a stand-up, a footballing fan, a podcaster, and one of the finest character stand-up impressionist comedians of his or any generation. Please welcome to the show, the brilliant Mr. Ratford! <laughs> Oh, mate, what a lovely introduction. That was very kind. Well, it's a, it's, you're a huge get. Oh, mate, cry, that cannot be true. Absolutely true. It's a pleasure to be here. Lovely to see you. Um, now, I saw you, I've been saying repeatedly on public, in, on podcasts everywhere, that stand-up is dead. But I'd done one gig, and it, and it was the gig that you did for Always Be Comedy, my favourite club. And you, you pretended to camp, well, you cancelled the gig, and then... You had Donald Trump replace you. And yeah. so you appeared on Zoom as Donald Trump. It was fucking brilliant. Oh, mate. Oh, that's very kind of you. Crikey. It was very fun. You're very good. I didn't know you were so good at the impression. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've practised it a bit. And then, I mean, obviously what's weird about doing stand-up in this sort of format, where mm-hmm. obviously on a podcast it works, but... Doing stand-up in your flat, just sat in front of a laptop, is weird. And, and that you can't pause for the laughs or anything. I, I just don't know how you do it. So no. James Gill had the idea of interviewing me as oh, Trump. So that kind of... Then you're basically doing a sketch, which I think is different. And to be fair to him, out of, you know, I've seen a few online gigs. I think he's a really good host of it and makes doesn't make it feel awkward. And I think that a lot of it was down to him. Have you done... Uh, have you been doing more gigs? Or is that the only one you did? That's the only one I've done so far. Have you done many? No, I still think stand-up is dead. (laughs) (laughs) What? Do you mean just during this lockdown? Yes, yes, during... Until we can have uh, people in a room together again. I just don't think it's stand-up if there's not an audience there. It's just a mad person. 
you're you're a mad person unless there's an audience <laughs> agreeing. Yeah, you're, well, you're I think, a, yeah, you're having a, you're... an audience <laughs> equally doesn't mean you're not mad. No, but at least you're like you can't catch me. <laughs> Look at these people uh, seemingly yes. agreeing. Although maybe that's how dictators work. I haven't fully thought through the theory, but if you're talking into a camera uh, on your own and you can't hear any feedback, aren't you just an incel? <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, there is a real desperation about trying to do stand-up not in a comedy club. and Because the way you deliver it in front of an audience obviously yeah. is different. Like you would give, you know, for people who aren't stand-ups who listen to this, if you had to give a presentation at work, you would talk differently giving a presentation. You would just sat around your desk. Yeah. And yet, with these online gigs, you, what you're supposed to do, sit there and talk as if though you're giving a presentation when you just sat. You know, I, just, I think if you can find a way, and I think maybe doing like a fake interview is a way to do it, yeah. it takes the pressure off a bit. Just doing stand-up straight down the lens of a webcam would be... Fuck. It's like the old um, audition tapes you see of Leonardo DiCaprio and stuff. <laughs> Fucking hell. You don't realise actors have to just do it in a room. Yeah. And no one else is talking. It's excruciating, the thought of it for most people. Because <laughs> with an audience, you can at least go, what's your fucking problem? You can't do that to your laptop, can you? Maybe that'd be funny. I might do that next week. That's quite good. Especially if there's no feedback and you're, you know, if you're a very needy comic like myself, uh, you know, at a normal gig, if I said, that's a bit quieter, I might even say, do you hate me? (laughs) (laughs) You're playing. I mean, oh man. And the computer would just be like, well, this is going bad, isn't it? You can't, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) People. People are watching this stuff in their spare room or mm. on their settee or, I don't know, in bed or whatever. Yeah. Whereas when you're at a comedy club, you're all there together at that point. You're all... Where's... And also, how are you supposed to slag off the people that are in your house if they're in the place where you're doing the gig? Like, yeah. part of doing a gig is you get to go and tell a room full of people about the people that are in your house. But if the people that are in your house, it's hard to talk about them because they can hear you. Yeah, that is like it definitely makes you more self conscious doing it. Yeah. Just into a laptop. I thought, why if my neighbours can overhear me? Yeah. That's, you know, one week he's doing some f- football thing and then he thinks he's, he's putting on a bad accent. Oh, God. Why does he keep doing that routine about how awful his neighbours are? <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, here we are. Are you surviving? How is your lockdown? Yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm shielding, so I, I haven't set foot outside for nearly four weeks at all. Really? Yeah, I have really severe asthma. Well, oh, not shit. that it turns out. I've always known I've had asthma, but, but I've had to uh, shield. So I'm in one of the very at-risk groups because of two pieces of asthma medication that I'm on. So I li- I, and I live in a flat, so I haven't got a garden so or any outdoor space of my own. So, um, yeah, I've not been outside for nearly four weeks. <laughs> I, think I'm, I, think I'm, I think I'm doing dealing okay. Is you feel you scared think? of going out now? Do you think, it, like, if they said to you tomorrow, you can go out now, would you be like, oh, no, I don't want to? I'd be, I wouldn't just go sort of, like, running around <laughs> rubbing Skipping people. Skipping down I'd, the street. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'm looking forward to going back outside again, but I guess I trust them in the sense that I trust the scientists that will give the advice. Yeah. I don't want to catch it, so I'd still be highly vigilant even when things relaxed, but... Um, I, I do want to go out. It is weird not going outside, but that said, there's TV and there's Easter eggs. <laughs> uh, oh, Matt. Oh, fuck. I've forgotten to tell you something. Oh, what? Oh, interesting. Oh, no. I should have told you at the beginning, actually. Oh, well, that, this adds more uh, thrill. Uh, I should have told you. Oh, I'm such <laughs> an idiot. I should have maybe even said it before we started recording because so you could have at least been prepared. But I'll just I'll just have to say it, I guess. Yeah. Um, you've died. You've died. Oh, oh, that's big news for me. Yeah, so for some it is big. It's quite big. How did you die? I well, as you know, there was a coronavirus, and I I, I shielded. Um, mm-hmm. But once the lockdown ended, we're all allowed to go to the pub again, and I died of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> On your first trip. Yeah, just got battered, and that was it. <laughs> oh, wow. That's not bad, but I feel like that you'd have enjoyed going that way. 
I mean, if you go that way, you're not aware that you're dying, I imagine, are you? You know, you just sort of, you, think you just basically nod off, you pass off and that's it. You pass out and that's it. Not to minimise it, obviously, although I am being very flippant about I mean, you killed me. It was your decision. <laughs> Fuck it, actually, you killed me. I killed you, but with Is drink. Any, has any guest ever said that? Have you, have you been the murderer in this situation before? I think, no, I think it may have been hinted at, but no. I think you're the first to outright call me well, in, the, in the drawing room with the, with the bottle of booze. Well, there you go. In a, in a, in a final twist, actually, I wasn't dead. I, I woke up, I'd passed out, and yeah. you were so worried at what an awful guest I was going to be. <laughs> you slit my throat. Oh, wow. Yeah. With what? Just a night? Broken bottle from behind. Really? Coward's trick, mate. If I'd have seen you coming, I'd have stopped you. I'd have got to you first, but then you'd be dead and there'd be no podcast host, would there? What would you have done? I'm coming towards you. You've heard the bottle break. Yeah. Listen, you know, bear in mind I'm fast and yeah. I'm strong. What are you going to do? Who oh, fucking hell, Brett? What are you doing? Brett! Uh, and then yeah. you straighten my throat. Oh, you Bloody mm. hell. Yeah. What's upsetting about it is how accurate your portrayal of me is. <laughs> 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 I think that's a fa- I think that's fair. No, okay. I mean, like, but you you start this podcast every episode by telling people they're dead. Yeah. So you obviously have a desire. It's like uh, Murder She Wrote, isn't it? It's like it's weird that I'm always here when someone dies. Exactly. Mm, but okay. enough about that online gig. <laughs> I thought I did all right. <laughs> You'll never know, to be fair, but you were excellent. Uh, how, uh, how do you worry about death, Matt Ford? No, not really. I mean, I, I worry. No, I mean, I had, I had a few severe asthma attacks as a kid. I mean, oh, really? one particular where I came really close to dying. No shit. How old so were I you? think I must have. Well, I'd, I'd have been like primary school age. I'd have been maybe eight, nine. It was it? I tell you what, it was right. We're, um, <laughs> we used to go on holiday every year to the east coast, so Skegness or Mablethorpe. I grew up in Nottingham, so that was where Nottingham people went. And um, I would have. A, I had an asthma attack one year, and then I had an asthma attack the next year. So it was. I don't know what it was, whether it was the dust in the caravan, but whenever we went to the east coast, I, my asthma was bad. Anyway, I have this asthma attack. My mum rings nine nine nine, and. Um, the ambulance just didn't come in and my breathing slows right down. I remember you sort of go through a phase of panic and then, and then actually very calm. And then I just remember my breathing had almost stopped. It was just very, very shallow breathing. And um, my mum just runs out into this caravan park and it's just shouting if anyone's got a nebulizer and a bloke three caravans down has, and I'd never seen one of these before, like a foot pump one that you put what? liquid Ventolin in. Yeah. So it's, it looks like he's pumping up his car tire. So he just straps this thing to my face and basically saves my life. Oh, my God. And I had a very severe reaction to some fish as a child as well. I've got anaphylaxis, and that almost, uh, that almost saw me off as well. So yeah, yeah. Um, maybe, that, maybe that's informed it. Maybe I'm like, oh, well, you know, you can come close and it's fine. But I just think do it's you, more. You, I just wouldn't want to die too early. You know, I'd, I'd like to. Do you remember when those things happened when you were like, or no, when it was like the bad bit, the peak, as it were, do you remember thinking, were you, were you panicked? Were you calm? Were you thinking, I'm going to die? Or did you, or was it all a blur? It's a bit of a blur, but I do, rem- I do oddly remember about that really bad asthma attack, a sort of sense of calm. I mean, I've had a few asthma attacks since as well, and they are scary. Mm. Um, and that's what I worry about with coronavirus is, is the, um, the, the, sort of, the fact that it affects the respiratory system so severely. And I've had a lot of chest infections these last few years which I've really I've needed really powerful medication for. So uh, I, that's why I'm, I've been yeah. ultra cautious and have shielded and followed the advice of the letter because I just think if I got it, I think it would really, down. I really think I'd be at risk of carking it. So I don't you know what? what? I, you've actually made me worried about you and I don't want you going out. Oh, no, I, no, no, I'm fine. If I see you out in the next uh, three months, I will stab you in the throat with a broken bottle. <laughs> Understood. It's a deal. Uh, do you think? Do you think there's an afterlife? I used to think. I used to think there was. Um, I, I grew up um, in a Christian household. My mum was a nun before she had me. Really? Yeah. So uh, we grew up ha- in a. Uh, hang on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How does that work? Fi- so she'd been a nun for about fifteen years. She went in very young. Yeah. And she comes. You know, her sister. Two of her sisters have been nuns, and her brother had been a monk. What? Yeah. So when we were growing up, 
we were, I was an old sport at the local church, but my mum had been a Catholic nun left. So, I mean, I suppose that tells you a bit. You know, she was, she was still, still believed in God and Jesus and the Bible and the New Testament stuff, mm. but had fallen out of love really with the institutions of religion, particularly the Catholic church. I think it was very punitive and I think at times probably quite an unpleasant experience. So yeah. um, we went to our local church and it was a Church of England church, it was just our local one. So, you know, I grew up in a God-fearing house where yeah. we, we read the Bible and um, very gentle religion, into, you know, it wasn't rammed yeah. down my throat. But uh, so from, from a young age, I did, I, I really believed in it. And then just as I got older, I got a bit more cynical and stopped going and I would love there to be, and I have a lot of respect for people who think there is, and I have a lot of respect for organised religion and and also a cynicism of it, but I don't think there is. But I, I want to believe. Do you remember? Do you remember a specific point where you, where that changed for you, where you did believe it? Do you do you know? Like it was that day that I stopped believing there was, or is it a gradual thing? I think it's incremental, but I think you know what? Oddly, I think when you find out Santa Claus isn't real that's a watershed moment. Yeah. Because I put them all together. You know, in my head, the Easter bunny, Santa Claus and Jesus all live together. Right. In my seven-year-old head, not in my 37-year-old head. So once you realise, you go, oh, well, that bit was made up. And you realise, you know, you you rationalise it and you realise why it was made up, but it's just a little chink in that magic is gone. And then I think, you know, that just opens up. The sunlight starts getting in then. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I think that sort of incrementally led. And then I think... I had some relatives die quite young as well. So my, my granddad passed away. I was very close to him. He was, he was like a sort of father to me, really. And, and, and his brother, who was like an uncle to me, his, and then an auntie of mine died when she was 40 or through a brain hemorrhage. And I just think, went to a lot of funerals very young. And whilst it gives you great comfort to think that there's something else, because that helps you in that, it, when, in that sort of hot sting of pain, I think as that recedes and you start to really think about it, I, I struggled to kind of, keep the faith I suppose so do you so when you think about your granddad for example who you were close to for you that is it's just a memory as in in your head he doesn't exist anymore he's not there's no consciousness there's no there's no ghost there's no spirit it's just this memory you have I think so I mean I I went through a period of visiting his grave quite regularly when I lived in Nottingham because we go and watch forest together and stuff and I'm you know I still miss him but I would love to believe there is an afterlife, but I don't think there needs to be one for you to have comfort. I think in a way, if you work on the basis that there isn't one, I, you know, obviously the, the, the sort of theory of the afterlife in a weird way is that it keeps you in check because you think, well, actually, if I behave myself in this life, then there's, yeah. there's riches afterwards. And I get that. And it's a comfort. But in a way, I think if this is your one go, then absolutely make the most of it in every way, not in a selfish way, but but like be good and, mm. and do the stuff, you know. So I... I in a way, it's enough to know that he lived once and he, he was brilliant and, and that's that. Could I ask you one, one more question on this? It's like, I'm just fascinated by how, how people... So you go to the grave of your granddad. You used to go there a lot, but you don't believe that he's there, as it were. Yeah. In, well, if yeah. you were to rationalise that, is it because it's comforting to be near a symbol of him that allows you to think of it? Because in theory, you go, well, you don't need to go to his grave. You could go, you could just think of him here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think because there's some remnant of him physically there, then it's special that, that that's the place where you go and remember. I mean, I haven't been for years because I live in London now, but... Um, and you've been yeah, shielding for this... the last 35 exactly. years. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think um, I think there is this, there's still a kind of... There's still, a, a, there's still an importance to where people's final resting place is, I think, whether mm. it's it, in an urn of ashes on someone's mantelpiece or in a graveyard in Nottingham that... Like, it's nice to just go there and that's the place where you sort of pay your respects in a way. Or, you know, you can still physically be close to the bones, I guess. That's not too morbid. No. The other, the other thing I would, I was thinking from what you've said is, I think about this a lot. I'm not sure about this uh, Santa Claus business, that it's a good thing. Because I'm all for magic. I'm a big fan of magic. I think we should have yeah. magic and encourage it. But the fact that we've collectively decided there's a thing we do to children, which is lie to them, and then one day tell them we've lied. All the books I read on psychology and mental health, secrets and lies are really bad for you. So if you train your kid up for years and then go, you remember that thing that you loved so much that you felt so deeply about? It was a fucking lie. You <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like we're traumatizing everyone. All the, and it's like a collective thing. We've decided, yeah, yeah, but this trauma is fine. This one's a good one. Do you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. And, and it's never the same. I, you know, I remember the first Christmas and I believed late. I think I must have been like 10 or 11. Oh, yeah. I was at least in my late teens. Um, but I remember the first Christmas afterwards. In fact, I remember a specific image of just looking across at the Christmas tree with where it was on top of my mum's record player with red wrapping paper on top of the sort of deck covering that the Christmas tree went on. I remember. I remember thinking, oh, it's just not the same now. But I still love Christmas, so I got yeah. over it quick. But I remember that first one going, mm. <laughs> yeah, just a fucking tree, and it was the point. Yeah, I was um, never bothered about presents. It was like just the magic of the season was what got me. Yeah. Well, guess what? I got good news for you. Oh, you're gonna love this, right? You was wrong about everything. Not only is there an afterlife, there's a heaven. Guess who's in heaven, hanging out, doing songs. Fucking Santa. He's there with the Easter. Oh, mate. He's there with a right on time. Yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah, he's doing a jig with the Easter Bunny and Jesus. They're having a right old time. What a great thing to be wrong about. What a good thing. The best time you'd you'd be glad to be wrong in your life. Yeah. Thank God I was wrong about that. Uh, If there's one thing. Now, (laughs) in this heaven, what Santa and everyone. They're obsessed with films. Did you know that about Santa? He's absolutely obsessed. No, I didn't um, know that. No, he's a big fan. Well, Christmas movies are always the best movies, so fair play to him. Yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's a bit narcissistic, but fair play. Now, what they want to know is your life through film. And the first thing they ask you is, what's the first film you remember seeing, Matt Ford? Mac and Me. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Mac and Check. Me. Yeah. E.T. ripoff. Exactly. Sponsored by McDonald's. Uh, that Paul Rudd always plays a clip from when he goes on Conan. Go on. Is that right? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Was he in it? No, he wasn't in it, but he, there's a, I think he just finds it funny how odd that film is. He always pretends that that's what he's there to promote. And was it really sponsored by McDonald's? I believe so, yeah. I think no it was way. McDonald's trying to cash in on an E.T. thing. So Mac and Me is a very bad film about an alien that comes uh, to help Mac. Yeah. It's me. Yeah. Go but obviously, as a, as a kid, you just, it's an alien. And I'd heard my mum talk about E.T., but I hadn't seen it. So then to me, this was just E.T. So a, an alien running around, you're like, well, that's, that's the film, isn't it? I, 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 I haven't watched it again since. Yeah. But I remember it having really bulbous cheeks. Yeah. A bit like Pob. You look like Pob, exactly. Ugly thing. But yeah. obviously, <laughs> as a kid, all that's, you don't care. You don't care about looks at that age. <laughs> yeah, anything, but anything that's weird or strange or you're running around making stupid noises, then then it's great, isn't it? So that was the that's the first one I remember, Mac and me. I love that. That's your ET. Do you remember how you saw it? Did you see it at the cinema? Or, or in, uh... Yeah, it was at the cinema. Yeah. Are you an only child? You got no, no. I've got a sister, who, Ruth, who's a year younger than me. Are you close? Yeah, we get. On, we're not like we don't text each other every day or anything like that. We get on, but we're not um, we're not as close as other families. You know, it's not that uh, you don't get on, I suppose. Yeah, I don't really see that often. Because I moved to London and that, you do different things. Did you go to the cinema with her, I, I guess, is what I was... Yeah, it was me me and my mum and my sister went. That's I nice. Think, I think that was the three of us, yeah. Well, it would have been at that age, definitely. And do you remember it blowing your mind? You like yeah, I mean, it? the cinema is still... You know, um, I, I often re- reflect on how overawing a football match is as to a child. You know, the first yeah. time that many people there and the language and the smells and the size of the place. And the cinema's just the same. Yeah. This big dark room that smells of popcorn. It was at the old Odeon in Nottingham, which sadly isn't there anymore. And just the big curtains that open for the trailers then close again. And yeah. just a, a big screen. It's just, uh, you know, I've never understood kids who make noise in cinemas and I'm really intolerant of it. Mm. Partly because even as a kid, I was like, you just transfixed it's like going into space <laughs> yeah it's so there's something slightly scary about a cinema you know it's dark and it's big and oh man yeah I, from that point on i just wanted to go to the cinema all the time oh man i think i love you <laughs> i love god you I, too god i miss the cinema um what is the film that made you cry the most Are you a crier you're a sensitive lad. I am, yeah. 
um, the snowman. Fuck it now. Jesus. That gets me. That gets me every time. And it's yeah. it's the specific bit is the bit at the end where the camera starts to pan round mm-hmm. and the piano just very gently starts without any singing on it. It's far more haunting piece of music without the voice. Mm-hmm. Just the beautiful music of it every year gets me every year. I went to see the um, <laughs> oh, I went to see the play. I don't know if you can call oh, it a play, the, the stage version. Yeah. That's basically all the same music, you know, all that. It's just, it's basically shot for shot, but on stage. Wow. With flying and, and everything. Yeah. And the end, the ending got me there. <laughs> it got me there as well. It's a really sad film. Incredibly sad. That's, well, there's your Christmas, there's your Death of Magic show. Yeah, it's really powerful to give that to children, I think. Yeah. That death as part of a Christmas story. You know, it's mad. The, the, the ability of that, of that, of, of Raymond Briggs and of, and of the, the music, it's just uh, yeah. incredible. It's the, it, until that point, it's the, it's the most joyous thing you've ever seen and then yeah. wallop. <laughs> oh, God. Do you, uh, are you, do you cry in the, uh, are you openly a crier? I don't, not that often, really. Usually when England get knocked out of a football tournament, the snowman, maybe a film occasionally, but not, it, not much, really. It, it, would, it would be more reacting to stuff like that. It'd be, it'd be more likely to be a film than it would be life. real life. Yeah, I agree. Um, what is the film that scared you the most? Now, I, I, it, it's a total coin toss on this between two, and I think it's like one of those things where if people ask me what my favourite Oasis song is, it depends what mood I'm in. Right. It's a choice between Hostel and Get Out. Wow. And What a choice. I'm going to choose Hostel just because it disturbed me profoundly. Mm. Like for a, for a good week afterwards, I didn't feel right. I felt so profoundly unsettled by it. Really? I think it's such a... I mean, in, the, in a way, it's done its job. It, it, yeah. In that regard, it's perfect. But I found it too troubling. There were too, there were too, it's so well made in the sense that it, it feels kind of believable and it's just so awful that people would choose to knowingly do that to other people. Mm. I, I found it, re- it, it felt really real. I've, I, it, it horrified me. I remember leaving the cinema. I saw it in, at the cinema at Warrington with a friend of mine, Gregor, and was just hit... So, <laughs> Still now remembering it, I still remember walking out, kind of unsteady on my feet. I mean, it really makes you think, why would anyone dream that up and make it? And he'd want to be in it and just, there's so (laughs) many questions. (laughs) And they all begin with why. Yeah. I mean, I remember Requiem for a Dream shook me up for a bit. That's a lot over that. I think Get Out's a really good horror film where it's funny as well. it, It kind of keeps you going all along and it's high concept. Hostel is just brutal. It, 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 really, it's the sort of... <laughs> if I had to ban one film, I'd ban that. I just don't see any good, any good coming from it. I would let you ban that. I, I, really, uh, I really hate torture porn. I hate that sort of horror. I don't... I really don't get... Because I think I'm quite a big horror fan, I think. Yeah. I'm sure there are people far more than me, but as in, I do like being scared and I like the whole world... Of, the genre of horror, but I really take no pleasure or even, I don't know what the word is, like adrenaline rush or anything yeah. from watching people get tortured. Like it, people being in pain does nothing for me in terms exactly. of like, agree. I just go, this is fucking horrible and unpleasant and it's making me sad. And I don't want yeah, to. If the question was, what's the most appalling film you've ever seen? <laughs> it would be that. It is appalling. It's morally reprehensible. It is unjustifiable as a piece of work. Yeah. People got paid to be in that. Someone thought, I mean, at least the human centipede is ludicrous. It's horrific, yeah. but it's mental. Yeah. Human Hostile centipede is like, is like a dare. You go, okay, let's see if you can make that into a film. Yeah. It just felt, Hostel just felt too real. It was really psychological as well. It, it felt like it really affected me. <laughs> so I've got to choose that, I suppose. Yes. Yeah, it's a shame because Get Out is a better yeah, film. Yeah, it's a brilliant film. Yeah. Lovely film. Okay. What is the film that. People don't like it's critically not acclaimed, but you fucking love it, and you will not be swayed by public opinion. Okay, <laughs> Jurassic Park three. <laughs> uh, and to be fair, and I would include the Jurassic World films in this. Hundred percent. I three's, love them. I mean, three's good. 
Three's good. Three is good. And three is three is more of a sequel than um, The Lost World is. The Lost World's messy. Um, although, actually, I watched it again recently. It was better than I remembered it. Mm. So I'm maybe warming back to that. But I think there's only so bad a Jurassic Park film can be. Obviously, the first one is a masterpiece. And yeah. it's a mixture of high concept, brilliant, everything comes together right. Like, the dinosaurs yeah. are scary. They pulled it off. It's great. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it really is a, it's a rare, rare quality film. And the others aren't near that. But at least Jurassic Park 3 rediscovers a bit of that magic and Sam Neill's in it, which I think is crucial. But I think the Jurassic World films are good as well. And I've got mates who take the piss at me for liking Jurassic World. They're great. The, the big budget, is what, but this, for me, is what going to the cinema is meant to be about. Big, yeah. mad shit. Stuff getting blown up. <laughs> and, oh, my God, there's a dinosaur and there's a kid in a glass ball and whatever, you know. Just silly daft escapism. I, I, I love them. I, why I like Jurassic Park 3 is Jurassic Park 1 and 2 have like 20 minutes of science at the beginning. They've got like, here's the, here's the educational bit and then here's all the... Whereas Jurassic Park 3 goes, fuck the educational bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dinosaurs are going to kill you, run! Yes, that is so, I'd, never, I'd, I'd, never, I'd never realised that before. And it, what I love three, about... 3 is like all dessert. Yes, There's it no, is. No sandwiches first. You obviously don't go back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why would Sam Neill? He's like, I'm never, ever, ever going back. Like, oh, we just want to go around in a jet ski. You're like, oh, well, if it's on a jet ski, I'll go nearby. <laughs> oh, come on. You know, this clever bloke. I think there's something as well as an audience. There's something satisfying. Clever people making stupid decisions. Because then you go, well, look, I'm not as clever as Dr. Alan Grant, but I wouldn't fucking do that. I know I'm cleverer than him when it comes to yeah. not getting in a plane with mercenaries and getting to an island covered in dinosaurs. <laughs> and William uh, H. Macy's in it, and Tierney yeah. Owen. It's a brilliant cast. Great cast, great film. And uh, it's got pterodactyls in it. What more do you th- want? Well, you know what? I fell in love with Jurassic Park so much, I just thought, if they're going to keep making sequels, I'm going to keep watching them. I sort of feel slightly tribal. I'm like, yeah, I'll always yeah. support Jurassic Park. I'll always support Jurassic World. I'll always go and see the latest film. Are it they your oasis of, oasis of films? In a way, yeah. I just think, I'll oh, just keep going. And you know what? In a way, yeah, because there's a formula to it. The mm. formula works. Don't muck about with it too much. The dinosaurs escape. Right, you, every film is, right, they definitely can't escape this time. And we've got this new thing that means they definitely can't <laughs> escape. And then they're like, oh, no, there was one small thing we didn't tell you about that meant they can escape. Then we've got to say, you're fine. I'll keep, keep, I'll keep yeah. watching that formula over and over and over. Yeah, because what's the alternative? You watch one where the dinosaurs just stay in, it's just stay in. And you go, they can't escape this time. They go, no, well, they didn't. The end. You'd be like, fuck that. Well, yeah, you'd be livid. You'd be, be genuinely out, outrage and uproar. And what, what I liked about Jurassic World was, I liked the fact that it was quite knowing. There's the guy with the Jurassic Park T-shirt on at one point in the yeah. control room, and she's like, oh, what's this? You're sick. And I liked... I liked the, what I liked about Jurassic World as well was when they go... Basically, the public have got bored of seeing dinosaurs, so we need to do these hybrids. And you're like, that is exactly what would happen. Yeah. The public would get bored of dinosaurs. And I just thought that was a really good insight. <laughs> so I thought, well, you guys are clever. I'm going to keep, I'm going to come, I'm staying with you. You keep being chance. clever, I'll keep coming back. Exactly. Uh, what is the film that you used to love? You loved it a lot, but you've watched it recently and you've thought, oh no, I do not feel similarly about it. Braveheart. It Ooh. is so bad. Is it? Because oh, I used to love Braveheart. Oh, man. Really? You will be shocked. Okay, it's like, it's almost like someone's made a new version of it. It was almost like it was a wind-up. I was like, this can't be the same film I watched. Really? It's crap. <laughs> Everything about it is crap. It's so... And, like, I know they've got to take some license and the baddies are going to be really bad and all that. Mm-hmm. But it's just so... It's, the baddies are really cartoony. The accents are all over the place. It's boring. It goes on for ages. And you just think, oh, this is an amazing story. And obviously it was like a sensation at the time. Yeah. But it's bad. It's it really it. bad. Oh, no. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so bad. <laughs> I was howling, laughing when he was getting quartered. I was like, this can't... That, I mean, either that's a reflection of me, but it was just bad. It's, it was aged really badly. That is a I shame. Like, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, what is the film... That means the most to you, not necessarily the film itself is any good, but because the experience you had around seeing the film, that will always make it memorable to you. 
I feel like I'm bending the rules with this answer, but because I okay. really like the film as well. Okay. And it's a documentary, which I feel like bends the rules a bit. But That's all right. it, it was such an amazing thing to go to. So it's a film called I Believe in Miracles, which is a story about a documentary made by a guy called Johnny Owen, who's a phenomenal filmmaker. And it's about when Nottingham Forest won the European Cup in 1979 and the effect mm-hmm. that Brian Clough, who's a famous football manager and idol of mine, had on that team. And it's a brilliant mix of talking heads and really funny and footage at the time. But it's, it's stitched together in this really comedic documentary film. But for the premiere of it, they showed it on a massive screen on the pitch at Nottingham oh, Forest's wow. ground, the city ground. And they sold out the Trent End, which is the, the stand behind the goals. There's a good 5,000 people there. They sold it out. They bring back all these guys onto the pitch, all the surviving members, apart from Martin O'Neill couldn't be there because he was managing Ireland. But these legends of the game that you're just about to watch this amazing documentary about all come out. And then you're sat. I mean, people talk about this secret cinema club and I would love to go to one. But this was off the scale because you are actually at the ground where this stuff happened. Actually there watching it. Now, I'm used to going there to watch football matches. We're going there to watch a film about this incredible achievement and those people are there. And then we met them in the bar afterwards. So you're just like, oh, I can't get over this. Shane Meadows was there. I mean, it was just yeah. like this bonkers night. And I remember just, so for listeners who aren't that into football, I'm sure they can. I'm sure they're can I just ask, can I interrupt for one second? Where was the screen? Was the screen the screen where they showed the goals at the other end? Of, or did they put the screen in the middle of the pitch? Yeah, so the screen was kind of somewhere between the halfway line and the 18-yard box facing the stand that we're all in. So it's quite close. Okay. Sorry, continue. So, But the, the stadium had been developed since those days. But one stand hasn't. One stand, the main stand, which runs along the touchline, is still yeah. as it was then. So it's just this surreal... Because all, all this success happened before I was born. So this surreal uh, experience of going to a film premiere at a football ground, sitting in a stand, watching a screen on the pitch, in the presence of the people that are the stars of the film, effectively... And then looking at this stand, I saw it, was there. And he's then in this film and it was just, football's a huge part of my life and and Nottingham Forest especially, but to be there, to watch that story with those people, you think, well, as far as an immersive experience goes, you don't really get better than that for a film. You know, you could go to a premiere and see the people there and I suppose that's really exciting, but I mean, it'd be like watching Star Wars in space. Yeah, in the, in the... To, you know, you're surrounded by it. So that, that really was um, an unsurpassable experience. That's one of my favourite answers I've had to that question. Oh, well. I really love that. Did you, hug, did you hug all the footballers for the film? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my, I was hammered by the end of it as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was... A, and it was. It was just like a great night. I mean, you yeah. know, the power of a documentary to inspire people. But, um, yeah, wow. that was... It was just... The whole thing was just bonkers and to be there with the people you know oh man yeah, what a night what a night i love hacks is back for season three and so is the official hacks podcast in each episode hacks creators lucia and yellow paul w downs and jen statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the emmy winning comedy series you'll hear hannah einbinder and gene smart speak to their on-screen dynamic along with hacks writer and actor pat regan on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. What is the film you most relate to? Oh, see, that's really... I tell you what's weird about this is it's going to make me sound like a psychopath, but Brilliant. Dead Man's Shoes. Yeah, go on. <laughs> because because I must avenge the killing. Of, <laughs> yeah. No, but because I'm a huge fan of a huge fan of Shane Meadows for a number of reasons. I, I think he's truly he's a genius. But yeah. being from Nottingham, being from the East Midlands, you, films with our accent in 
are basically never made. And it, and it's a part of the country that a lot of people don't know much about, you know, and you think about the accent. A lot of people know what a Geordie sounds like or a Yorkshireman or a Mancuscouse or a Brummie, a Cockney, you know, the East of England, you know, every area, Bristol, Glasgow, every area has got a cliche around its identity, around its accent. But the East Midlands doesn't really have anything culturally big. People just presume you're from Sheffield or, or maybe Birmingham. There's, it's a part of the country that is unplaceable in so many people's minds. And Meadows has given an identity and given voice to that accent. So firstly, it's really powerful to hear East Midlands accents in a film. Mm. And obviously it's not any old film. I, I think it's one of the greatest films ever made. But what I really identify with it, and maybe it is partly because it reminds me slightly of my upbringing, but the claustrophobia of bullying, the people who go along with it, you know, it just really resonated with me. And, and the fact that it's made by such a good filmmaker that there's a twist I didn't see come in, but I think that's partly because I'm thick. And mm. um, the, I just think everything about it, and on top of that, it has the accent and, and a th- you know, sort of bullying storyline. It's a great revenge film. Mm. And it's funny and it's smart and everything else. But I just think, I think so it was the first time I saw a big film. I mean, obviously it's not big in terms of like, it wasn't a Hollywood blockbuster, but like it's, it's well known and it's a successful yeah. film. And it's a great film. I think it was the first time I sat and watched a film and thought, I sort of felt, I saw a bit of myself in it. Yeah, I've never felt that with a film before. So the film you most relate to is one where you saw a bully from Nottingham and you thought, that's me. That's well, me. <laughs> you could interpret it like that. I mean, I, I, was bullied a bit, I was bullied a bit at school, so I think... Oh, no. And I've done a bit of armchair psychology on myself with this. I really like revenge films, and I think it is. I think it's partly that is. I love The Count of Monte Cristo as well, and I think mm. part of you is just like... You know, the, the idea that you could get your comeuppance in quite a bloody eventual way is hugely entertaining, but ultimately yeah. um, <laughs> illegal pursuits. Uh, bloody and, law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think I, I, I get, I sort of live vicariously through characters yeah. who get revenge. That's good. That's good. Uh, Matt Ford, here we go. Look me in the eyes if you can through a webcam. What is the film you found the sexiest? <laughs> Species. Oh, fucking... Why has no one said species? You're absolutely right. Natasha Henstridge is a sexy alien. Yeah, I mean, it's basically porno. So I don't know, like, what other answers are people giving? I mean... They're lies. People lie and they don't say species. (laughs) Species. It's a film I would never, ever watch again. But you're like, well, the poster was basically like, this is a sex film. That was the whole point of it, wasn't it? Well, it was like... I guess it was like really, really designed for for everything like a teenage boy. Like it was, but the poster, what the poster was, you know, it's what alien, think. but she's really fit. Yeah. So you just like, and it's got Ben Kingsley in it, so it's legit. You go, oh, it's legit. Yeah, it's highbrow. Mm. Gandhi's in it. Gandhi's in it. Gandhi's fucking aliens, man. What's happened? <laughs> Great film. She put, she takes a man in the hot tub, and then kills him with, like an alien. She's a beautiful alien. It's like Mac and me if Mac was really beautiful. <laughs> the killer. Yeah. I wonder if uh, I've got sexual feelings for Mac. Probably. It's weird that, I ch- that my first film was an alien film. Mm, and your sexiest film. Yeah. It's very strange. Okay, there's a subcategory, and maybe your answer to this will be Mac from Mac and me. Um, troubling boners, worrying why dogs. What film did you find arousing and you thought maybe you should have? Ghostbusters 2. Continue. Sigourney Weaver. Why is that a troubling boner? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I suppose you don't go into... Because <laughs> What's you're wrong kid? with Sigourney Weaver? Nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. But obviously, as a kid, you go to watch the film because it's got oh, ghosts. Okay. And then you're like, oh, hey up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lady, you know. Yeah. So it's... um. Okay, so it was context. I was like seven or eight, man. I was, you know, that's that's really context that made it troubling, was it? You don't expect to like go to watch a ghost film as a kid. Mm. You're basically going to watch a cartoon, is what you think you're going to watch. Yeah, and then end up with a crush. How long did that last? You still got it? Oh yeah, (laughs) classy. Yeah, really. That's a very classy choice for your movie. I stand by it. That's lovely, actually. You're a real sort of classy, classy guy. 
I don't think so, but oh, Ghostbusters 2 is a great film as well, isn't it? It's a great sequel. Oh, I love Ghostbusters 2. For some reason, I've seen Ghostbusters 2 about a million times because once we were on holiday and it was like the only film that was on the TV and they played it sort of on a loop on some channel. So I've seen it so often. I love it. Yeah, I've watched it like that and Ghostbusters. I've watched so many times. Just mm. easy, they're just high quality, easy viewing films. Yeah. I went to um, New York. Yeah. I went to the Ghostbusters. In fact, I've been to New York five times and every time I've been, I've been to the New York fire station. I just touch it. <laughs> it was me and John Richardson occasion. Me and John Richardson go about every two years. We go to New York for you know between five and ten nights and, and just get shit faced in a load of sports bars. We have a great right. time. Love they're it. just five all days, back to back to back, going into Irish bars and sports bars, basically pretending we live there and having right. a great time. Every time we go to the New York fire station, the first time we went, I found it really emotional seeing it, mm. and it made me realise how much those films have an effect on you in terms of your hopes and your dreams. You know, I really felt like just being there with it was an achievement in a weird way. And uh, I just gawped at it for ages. We had our photo taken with it. And then we walked around the block. I was like, I need to go back and touch it. And I just sort of, <laughs> I just sort of laying on of hands on the uh, Ghostbusters fly. I just want you know, it's tangible. I was just like, yeah. so much of my life's enjoyment was filmed there, you know? And again, it's that thing of a, you're actually at the place. Yeah, this place like is magical and it will always contain those those wonderful think, dreams that it gave Do you think you go back every time hoping Sigourney Weaver will be in? Massively, yeah. Yeah. Or Bill, uh, Bill Vakeman, Bill Murray. I just think, think oh, wouldn't it be great? I used to have dreams, that I, a recurring dream that I would meet Bill Murray just around and about. Wow. I met him at Goose Fair once in Nottingham and he gave me his um, autograph by the yeah. Mushy Pea Stand. Uh, I would love to meet him. I think you'd get on. Um, oh, well, that's a, I'll take that as a huge compliment. I think you would. Objectively, Matt Ford, what's the greatest film of all time? Objectively, please. I try to, it's really hard to be objective, but I think The Goonies. I think it's the perfect film. Yeah, okay. I just think it is, I think everything about it, that is the soundtrack. The character, every character is perfect. Mm-hmm. The is perfect. The casting is perfect. The story's great. It's really, you know, it's rooted in real sadness. There's a class element to it. And, and like, the, the, the sort of bullying in the film is, is like, class-based. It's like the rich kids mocking the poor kids and they're going to lose their house. You feel sorry for the older brother, even though he's a bit of an arsehole. It's really good set-piece comedy scenes in it where yeah. uh, your mouth is mistranslating... Um, uh, I think it's Mexican to the house cleaner and telling them where all the drugs go, the bit where the willy falls off. The, <laughs> the, um, and it's a great adventure. It's a yeah. phenomenal adventure. It's like, um, and it, 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 there's no CGI in it. It's all like, they've got an actual ship. They had to build sets mm-hmm. where they're running through caves. It's scary. It's got that weird sort of history element to it. Chester Copperpot. I just love it all. I love it. I think it's just... It's, that is... That is a great shout. And And the soundtrack, you know, I listened to the soundtrack. There's a piece of music from it called Fratelli Chase, which is the main theme from The Goonies. That The opening scene of it, where it's the the four bar, you know, it's the guy in the jail. Yeah. But do you really think I'd be stupid enough to kill myself? Kill myself? The longer you animals bark, the colder your lunch gets. And then... I don't have the handle. Let go of the lock. I don't have the lock. Let go of the handle. Jake, up. Oh, and he gets into just the whole thing. They set the thing on fire. It's like, whoa, what is this film? There's the police chase. And in that chase, in that opening sequence, you're introduced to all of them. Chunk pushing himself up against the window, mouth trying to fix this. All this mad shit is going on. Right at the start. Bang, 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 bang. Like a firework display of ideas and people. And then the great bit with the, um, and it's so satisfying. It's like the Audi advert. Where to open the door, you know, he's got to do the truffle shuffle and then the chicken lays an egg, the bowling ball, all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, as a kid, you say it's got everything. It's got gadgets. It's got like kids you want to be in, adventure you want to go on. It, a great ending. I, yeah, I, I think it's the... Matt most- Ford, you've genuinely talked uh, the Goonies into the greatest film of all time. And, <laughs> um, and it is knocked out The Godfather, which everyone else says. I've, and you've I've made a better case oh. for the Goonies than I've heard for the Godfather. Wow. Maybe yeah. I should go into law. <laughs> um, 
I've, I so, listen to the Goonies soundtrack regularly. I really like the Cindy Lauper song off it. Goonies are good enough, but for Telly Chase. Can you sing me the Cindy Lauper song? Good enough for me, it's good enough for me, it's good enough, it's good enough for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she, there's a brief bit where she's in it, and then he nicks that little girl's bike and just go, I want my bike, I want my bike. Oh, it's brilliant. It's, oh, mate. How, you know, that Beautiful. is the sort of film. When people say they don't make films like that anymore, that is the they film. They need the goodies. Yeah. What an answer. Also, Richard Donner, who directed that film, is on my Rob Reiner list of directors that I, I, it's, it's mad that they aren't considered one of the greatest directors of all time. And it's only because he made so many different films. Richard Donner made Lethal Weapon, all of them, The Omen, Superman, The Goonies, Conspiracy <sighs> Theory. I mean, that, what, I mean, there's more, shit, loads more. But come on, that's a fucking good director. That is an exceptional body of work. In whose house is he not regarded as one of the greats? because he doesn't... I think the theory on, like, when people talk about auteurs and they talk about uh, directors, it's usually people that seem to have one theme that they explore in different ways through films. Whereas Richard Donner and Rob Reiner... Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's what we need to change. Yeah, fuck them. The government. Right. <laughs> what, uh, what film is, the, can you or have you watched the most over and over again? I only realised this after the last time I viewed it. I thought, why do I always end up watching this film? Because I would never have said it was my favourite film. I'd say it's one of my favourites, but I'd put it low down on a list of favourites. The Prestige. Great film. I just think, I love magic. I love yeah. a good magic trick. I used to live with Danny Buckler as well. He's a great Oh, comic. wow, nice. And Pete Furman's a good friend of mine. I love a good car trick. I love a good magic trick. I love a film that's kind of a bit of a caper, mm-hmm. where there's a, you know, you're trying to figure it out. And I think it delivers it really well. David Bowie's in it. Yeah. As Tesla, which is a great cameo. Um, and I know, again, I, when I watch a film, I never try and guess the twist. I deliberately kind of shut off my that part of my brain. I think I want to be surprised. I don't want to figure it out. I'll be gutted if I figure it out. So I basically go on almost like sleep. I watch it like a dolphin. I sort of just while in the bath. I kind of just like watch. I watch it basically in thick mode. Yeah, correct. I'm not, I'm not going to try and figure this out. I'm going to just be. I'm, I'm going to experience this film in the way that the filmmaker wants it to be experienced, which is the twist is meant to be a surprise, and I'm meant which to go. Which is like a thicket. Yeah, and I'll enjoy it more. I'll, I'll yeah. go, wow! Rather than going, yeah, I told you. I said that five, <laughs> five minutes in, I said it was her. Well, then what satisfaction have you got? Because the whole thing, you're like, I better be fucking right. <laughs> Rather than, oh my God, what's going to happen? So I just, that, I never saw the twist come in. I thought it was great anyway. I love the idea of two competing magicians trying to come up with these great tricks. Michael Caine is superb in it. Yeah, I, I think it's a great film. And it, but it's just one of those ones where I was like, I'll just stick it on. I could watch that, that's an easy. And then it's just... It would be like going through your phone and looking at your most played and going, oh my God, I don't even realise I've watched it that many times. There's a bit in The Prestige, one of my favourite bits in a film, when uh, uh, Christian Bale's uh, girlfriend or wife says to him, some days I look at you and I feel like you really love me and other days I look at you and I feel like you don't really love me and sometimes I just look at your eyes and I don't know and he goes, not today. Yeah. Not today. I say that to my girlfriend every morning. <laughs> I wake up, roll over, tap her on the shoulder, and I look her in the eye and go, not today. She's <laughs> <laughs> a very lucky girl. Um, what about, uh, what film is the worst film you've ever seen? Second Bridget Jones film. It's the only, it's the only film mm-hmm. I've ever walked out of the cinema of. I'm going to have to hard disagree with you, but why did you, why did you I love that film. I think you may have missed the best sequence if you walked out. When did you walk out? I mean, I must have given it a good... Somewhere between half an hour and an hour. I really liked the first one. I really liked the third one. Hmm. But the second one just... Took you to the edge of reason. Yeah, I've just never been support. I just got up and walked out. And I had one of those... um, I had for a period one of those unlimited cinema passes, which I think were one of the greatest inventions of Western civilization, where it was like 10 quid a month just going to see all the... I've got it, yeah. Have you still got it? I, I, well, yeah, I've got a Cineworld one, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I need to... Obviously, it's fairly useless at the moment, but I, I would love to do that. I'd love to have the, 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 
the sort of spare time and the wherewithal and like the mm. means to be able to go to the cinema that regularly that it was like financially worth it. Cause it, you, going to the cinema is one of the best things you can do with your time. And I, I was just, I started watching that film and what it did that unlimited pass just made me go and see a load of films I would never have seen. Yeah. You basically, you see all the films you want to see and then you're like, I was going to see like three or four films a day. Nice. Brilliant. It was just total escapism. Nice. Was just, just like, whoa. I was going to see like French films about farmers and shit. It was just like, what? <laughs> Stuff I would never have seen. I was like, fucking free. <laughs> so I went to see Bridget Jones too. I was like, well, I like the first one. Oh, it was bad. I just didn't know. Maybe I was on a bad day, but I was you just You missed like this. the scene where she does mushrooms and ends up in prison. I mean, there's some great stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, again, I, I, the, the 20-year-old me or however old wouldn't walk back in for that. I don't think. I was just like, I can't, I'm just so bored. I was like, I can't. This is just not worth it, mm. even though it was technically free. Maybe walked that's why you walked film. out, because you weren't invested financially. So you go, oh, I could just, it's like flicking through something on Netflix. Yeah, anyway, I didn't, any, I didn't walk out of any of the others. Have you walked out of any other film in your life? Do you do that on the reg? No, I don't think so. I think that's the only one I've walked out of. Wow, that's huge. So sorry, yeah. Bridget Jones. I feel bad. Do, do you know people in it or that made it or something? No, I just like it. I think Thank it's good. God. What? I'm going to have to hard disagree. I was like, oh shit, his mate made it. <laughs> I actually know Bridget Jones, but she's cool. She's got a thick skin. What is the. Uh, you're in comedy. You're very funny. What's the film that made you laugh the most? Porkies. <laughs> I think it's the funniest film ever made. <laughs> I never forget watching that. Oh my god, my mum was out. Me and my sister watched it. Oh my god, I remember the physical pain. <laughs> There's so many great bits in it. It's just a really good. It's way better than American Pie. It's basically the original American Pie. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. The the prank calls, the eggs, the. The bit where the guy's been sticking his willy through the hole in the shower room and the, the, the teacher's seen it and then grabbed it. It's the line, the line I really remember is where the PE teacher's saying to the headmaster, I want a line up of every, I want a line up of every dick in the school. I think she says something like, I could pick that thing out of a lineup. It had a great big mole on it. <laughs> I could pick that thing out of a lineup. <laughs> oh my god and obviously the prank call Mike Hunt is in there it's a classic uh, piece of work uh, a lovely and surprising answer now Matt Ford you've been fucking amazing now here's the thing when uh, lockdown was lifted and you ran to the pub you ran to the pub and you got absolutely hammered and you actually nearly had alcohol poisoning you passed out but then you woke up and you actually hadn't died but I had said to you, you weren't allowed out until this was all done. And yeah. I saw you were out and I was so angry because I wanted to keep you alive. But I smashed a bottle and I ran towards you. And I said, what the fuck are you doing out of your bedroom? And I stabbed you straight in the throat and you just bled. There was a geezer of, of blood all over the bar. Your girlfriend was like, what the John Richardson was like, what the fuck? Everyone was going mad at me. I was like, I told him to shield himself. It's dangerous out here. <laughs> and you fell to the ground, blood everywhere. And I was so upset with you that you'd risked your life to come out. I started kicking you as well. <laughs> you were already oh, being so I started kicking you, kicking you. Yeah, I don't you. remember that bit. Yeah, I was kicking you. I was so angry with you for going out and risking your Crikey. life. And uh, anyway... Eventually, after, I mean, quite a, you, you, you put up a good fight in terms of how long you stayed on. I think she was so drunk. You just kept looking at me and laughing and I was kicking your key, blood coming out your neck. <laughs> anyway, eventually, and by the way, what was weird is your girlfriend, John Richardson, no one pulled me off. <laughs> well, I seem to remember them sort of joining in. Yeah, it was, it was, they were annoyed. They were like, why aren't you shielding? And uh, <laughs> anyway, so... Eventually you died, and I was like, whew, I was exhausted. It was a real work. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it was quite a um, sort of an old man pub, and it had carpet. The carpet was really sticky, and because of all the blood and all the beer and the fucking Guinness and the whiskey, everything, it was hard to get you off the floor. So when I tried to pull your body up, like bits of the carpet came with, there's bits of glass, all sorts. So I'd had this coffin made that was your size, but because of all the carpet and all the extra stuff, there was more of you than I'd planned for. 
So then I have to start chopping up. If I get the bottle again, I'm now chopping up the body into smaller bits. And then I'm stuffing it all in this coffin. I'm stuffing it in, stuffing it in. There's more of you than I'd planned for. Yeah. The coffin is absolutely rammed. There's I'm so room. sorry about this. I've made a real mess on your carpet. I know. Yeah. I know you just shouldn't have gone out. But um, Sorry, it was my fault. Yeah, it's completely... And, and the court of law agreed. So, um, but there's only a tiny, tiny room in your coffin that I could slide one DVD in the side that you could take to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. And one night, it's your movie night. What film are you taking to show everyone in heaven on your movie night? I suppose it's got to be the Goonies, hasn't it? Of course it's the Goonies, Matt Ford. Yeah, it's got to be the Goonies, yeah. Yeah. You're, I, doing, I you're doing your intro as well. I couldn't talk about... I couldn't talk about a film like that and then not pick it. Yeah. People listening to this would be like, well, what was all that about then? Yeah. What's this other film you've not mentioned? Why did he say the Care Bear movies too? <laughs> that really came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it's got to be the Goonies. Uh, Matt Ford, I've enjoyed this so much. You've been so wonderful. Is there anything you'd like to tell people to listen or look out for with you in in the coming weeks? I don't know when this will go out, but it'll be in a um, few weeks. Well, I do a podcast called The Political Party where I interview politicians and I'm, I try and do a couple of week uh, and it, some of it focuses on, at the moment, what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I've spoken to um, you know, scientists and government advisors and, and and uh, members of parliament, but there's a whole back catalogue, and I get people on from all over the world. So I had Anthony Scaramucci on the other week, Donald Trump's wow. former director of communications. How was that? It was fantastic. I mean, that really? was was one of the best episodes we've ever done. Yeah, he was oh, just a wow. uh, fantastic talker. But I've had so many British politicians from right and left on: Tony Blair, William Hague, Nick Clegg, uh, Ken Clark, Michael Heseltine, Ruth Davidson, Nicola Sturgeon, Sadiq Khan. Wow. Um, all of whom have been generous enough to give an hour of their time informally to talk about their life and career and let me tease them a bit. So it's a bit lighthearted. You know, whatever your politics, you'll find something to like in there, I'm sure. Uh, can I ask you a quick question? Maybe yes. this is, uh, uh, having spent all this time talking to politicians, has it made you go, in the, in the way that when I watch a show like The Thick of It, I go, well, it's impossible. It's just impossible to be a politician. Like, I sort of have sympathy for them to think of it because you go, well, the system's yeah. fucked. There's no way of getting anything actually done. Is that, do you feel that way talking to these politicians or does it make you feel sort of hopeful and optimistic for the, the way we do government, I guess? Overall, it's very hopeful and optimistic because the vast majority of them are trying to make the world a better place. And some of them are exceptional people. Right. And not just in terms of their ability, but Tessa Jowell is one of the most amazing people I ever met. Wow. A really rare person with a kind of magic about her. And the night ended up being really emotional. Obviously, she sadly passed on since, and I think about her so often, particularly around just how coarse political debate is these days. And she was the total opposite of that. But on the night, people were like welling up, just listening to her talk about politics. The power of that woman was just a phenomenal person. Just, yeah, I, I met someone really special. And obviously, it's fascinating talking to former prime ministers, chancellors, home secretaries, decision makers at crucial times in our history, mm. about why they took decisions and whether they stand by them. And, you know, context is so important. And I think in so many political interviews, they're hostile, they're short. The listener or the viewer is left no better off. No insight into the individual or to the context of the time or the pressures on them. And I just find them endlessly fascinating to talk to. Matt Ford, you're absolutely brilliant. Uh, everyone listen to the political party with Matt Ford. Uh, Matt, you've been wonderful. I hope you have a lovely death. And don't you dare leave your fucking house. Or you <laughs> oh, know wait, what wait. happens. This has been so much fun. Thank you so right. much. So that was episode 105. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 15 minutes of chat, secrets and the full uncut video of Matt Ford. Go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and write about the film that means the most to you and why. It's lovely if you do that. I do read it and it also helps numbers and Maureen really appreciates it. Thank you so much to Matt Ford for doing this show. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to ACAS for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics. Lisa Lydon for the photography. Come join me next week where I will be bringing back from the dead the incredible Jamila Jamil. So that is it for now. Have a very lovely week. And please, more than ever, be excellent to each other. 
Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.